Now, as we continue in our series, Relationship Not Rules, looking at the Ten Commandments, we come to the third commandment, that you and I should not dishonor the name of God, that we should not take the name of the Lord in vain. And so often, the misuse of God's name has to do with the misunderstanding of this commandment. Because when we think of taking the Lord's name in vain, most of us just think about our words. But you see, it also encompasses our walk. And you and I need to understand that our worship of God will dictate our witness for God. You see, what we discover here in honoring God is that honoring Him has more to do with our lifestyle than even our lips. My prayer as a church is that when it comes to authentic worship, worship that is not just on the weekend but throughout the week, that our life and our lips would be a witness for Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. Turn with me in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 7. And we're just going to read that one verse, Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. And the first call here is an admonition to not take the name of the Lord of our God in vain. You see, you and I need to ask ourselves this question today. How important is a name? How important is your name? How important is it for people to know who you are? And what you stand for. Growing up, most of the time when people would see my name written and they would go to announce my name, instead of calling me Giles, they would call me Giles. Because they would see the G and just assume that was the way it was supposed to be sounded. It's one of those weird English words like giant gymnasium, giraffe. You know, you don't work out in a gymnasium. Well, maybe some of you do. Getting a little gimpy. But... Here's the thing, regardless of how people pronounce your name, what you want when your name is spoken is for good things to be thought about your name and about you. You see, that's what Scripture actually teaches in Proverbs 22.1. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver and gold. Do you realize the flip side of that is also true in 1 Samuel twenty-two twenty-five? It says, May my Lord pay no attention to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name is fool and folly goes with him. You see, you and I have to understand that it's not just that our name is tied to our reputation, but to our very character. And as John Wooden says, you and I need to be more concerned with our character than we do with our reputation. Why does he say that? Because your character is who you really are. Your reputation is who people say you are. What does it come to mind when I say the name Judas Iscariot? Do you start to gain a sense of how our name becomes connected to our character? What if I were to say the name Hitler? Or what if I were to flip that coin and I were to say the name Washington or Abraham Lincoln? Sometimes a name can become so powerful that it becomes synonymous with a product. Most of us today, we don't don't talk about reaching for a tissue. We talk about reaching for a Kleenex. You ever thought about the power of a name? You see, businesses understand the power of their name, and so what they do is they copyright that name. So that you and I can't just use and misuse that name. In essence, that's what God is doing here. He's copywriting his name. He's saying to you and I, I'm going to give you permission to use my name, but not to misuse my name. And there is a positive and a negative to this command. And so often we overlook the, the positive because it's, it's inferred, it's not spoken. 
The positive is that we will honor his name. The negative here is that, that we won't dishonor his name. And most of us, we're just content to not dishonor the name. But here's the question. Are we honoring the name of Jesus? As you and I look at each of these phrases, it's interesting. You shall not take literally means to lift up or to bear. And in ancient times, when people would make promises or vows, especially to God, they would lift up their hand. Even today, when it comes to honoring people, we will lift up our eyes, won't we? You see, we just did a lifting up here a moment ago with our voices. And that lifting up was in honor to Jesus, or at least I hope it was in honor to Jesus. I hope we weren't trying to hijack God's worship and ask ourselves the question, well, did I like the worship? I hope we were lifting up our voices and not our wants and our likes and our preferences of praise. So let me ask you, how and where in your life are you lifting up and bearing the name of Jesus Christ, because that's what it means when it says, you shall not take. It means to lift up or to bear the name of the Lord your God. In Bible times, a name was not just identification, it was an actual identity. It was the very nature or character. And the word that is used here for God is the holiest one, Jehovah. This is where you and I start to gain a sense of an understanding of the awe of God, Yahweh. You see, this is where you and I realize the name that was spoken to Moses when he was called and commissioned by God at the burning bush. And he said to God, who shall I say is sending me? And he said, I am. Today we sang about the great I am. Do you realize that name is so holy to Orthodox Jews that they won't pronounce the whole name or write the whole name? That whenever they handle even a part of that name, They will symbolically wash to show that they've been cleansed and clean. Here's the thing. God wants us to use his name, but not to misuse his name. And Scripture says in Proverbs that the name of the Lord is a strong tower, and those who are righteous, they run to it, and they are safe. And then we have the phrase, in vain. That means empty, pointless, worthless. That means when you and I look at the name of God and, it, and it's meaningless to us, it carries no weight in our lives. But then do you notice that there is a consequence to this command? For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. I think of Uzziah who was involved in bringing back the Ark of the Covenant. And they loaded up the ark on this cart, hauled by oxen. And as the oxen stumbled at one point in the journey, Uzziah reached out to steady the ark. And it says that God, because of his irreverence, struck him dead. And we read that story and we're like, seriously, God? He he, he was concerned about the ark. He didn't want it to fall. And you're going to treat your servants that care about about you that way? But you see, that's our perspective of the care of God. Now let me give you God's perspective of the care of God's name. Do you realize that the name of the ark actually is the name of God? You see, they weren't carting an ark It was carrying the name of God. And God had told them, the priests are the ones who bear my name. There were these poles that would go through the rings. And the priests were to pick them up. And only the priests would transport God's name because of the holiness of what was going on. But you see, they determined that they were going to cart God's name. We'll just carry God's name however we want. We don't really care what God's told us to do. Do you see the disobedience in the very beginning? And then if we're just carting God's name haphazardly and something happens, I can handle it. I can just reach out and take care of it for God. Do you start to gain a sense of the irreverence of God there? But so often we want to look at life from our perspective and not God's perspective. And we become angry with God 
But the truth is, we're just haphazardly carting his name around, carelessly. And when it slips, we think, well, I, I can handle it. I can make it all right, God. I think of Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament who promised God, but they didn't mean it in their heart, and it cost them their life. There is a consequence, but I want you to see here, it's not just an admonition. It is an admonition with authority. God is the one, as the Almighty, speaking here. One of the incredible privileges we have as parents is the naming of our children. And sometimes that's a challenging thing. And parents spend lots of time looking through baby book names, and and they even get input from friends and family, and sometimes that's not as helpful as they wanted. And maybe you got a family member that says, hey, I think you should name that little tiger uh, that you're going to have Obadiah if it's a boy. And so you start to project as a parent, you're thinking grade school, Obadiah might not go so good. Then you move to junior high, and you're like, you know, I just don't see this name fitting really good until maybe 60, 70. I think maybe we're not going to take that advice. And so you wrestle through all of this stuff. You take all the names that you've picked. You line them all up, and you, you check to make sure you're not spelling something else that's really bad. Sometimes parents, they get to the hospital, the baby's about to be born, and, and they don't even have a name picked yet. There was someone in the first service that texted me afterwards and said it wasn't until I was two weeks old that my parents actually finally came up with a name. But one thing is certain, your parents will give that child a name. You see, here's something unique about us as human beings. We don't name ourselves. This is the first act of authority that a parent has in a child's life is the giving of their name. But now let's think about God. Nobody named God. God was the one who revealed his name. Church, we don't tell God who he is. He tells us who he is. And I want to challenge you in your Christian life. Stop telling God who he is and what he's going to do and when he's going to do it. And allow him to start showing you who he is. Because if not, we will create a false God. It is here that God reveals that he is the great I am. That is speaking to his self-sufficiency, his self-existence, his sovereignty, and also his supremacy. But you see, it's not just an admonition of authority because if it was, it would just be about the rules. Now we get to the relational part. You see, this was an admonition of authority speaking about, number three, our adoption. Do you notice what it says here? The name of the Lord, your God. Can I ask you a question? Is Jesus Christ your Lord? Has there been a time in your life where you've admitted that you're a sinner and you have cried out and asked for Jesus Christ to save you from your sin? Because here's the amazing reality. When we become Christians, we don't just revere the name, we receive the name. We call ourselves Christians, right? Which means little Christ or Christ one. And I wonder today, how are we living out that name that we have been given? You see, later in Ephesians, Paul says this in Ephesians 1, 3, All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. Because we're united with Christ, even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. Paul here, as he talks about you and I receiving the name of Jesus, gives us the picture of adoption. And as you and I think about Roman adoption, there were several very unique and specific things. At adoption, the parents who were adopting that child would pay the price. Do you realize the price that was paid for you to become a child of God? You see, one of the reasons that we don't have a reverence for God is because we have forgotten what God has done for us. That he sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to be crucified, nailed to a cruel Roman cross. The cross of Calvary. You were bought with the blood of the Lamb. 
When was the last time you reminded yourself of the cost of being a child of the king? You see, most of us, we don't think about the cost, and therefore, we are absolutely careless children of the king. You see, another aspect to adoption in Rome was that that child would take on the name of the father. And all of the rights and privileges that came with that name were transferred to them. Not just their future inheritance, but their immediate inheritance as they took on being a part of a family. They now were loved and they belonged. What does Scripture say here? It says that we have already been given every blessing in the spiritual realms. I think we just pass right over that every day as believers. We, we, we storm into the throne room of God and we're like, I need this and I need this and I need this. Why? Because we're not accessing what we've already been given. And most of us today, we're demanding the table scraps because we've forgotten all of the blessings in the spiritual realm. That, that God has given us everything we need to do life. We've just got to pick it up and go for it. It's like a mechanic that's in a shop with every single tool conceivable, and yet they don't ever take them out of the drawer. They don't actually ever go pick up that socket or that wrench and apply it to whatever it is that needs to be moved or changed or fixed in life. Do you realize that no less than seven Roman emperors were adopted? That's an amazing thought, isn't it? This is not an exclusive club. Every single one of us are invited to be a part of God's kingdom. But I wonder if we realize today the power of the name that we have been given. The name of Jesus. You know, when David fought Goliath, He made an amazing statement. And I want you to picture a whole army full of warriors with all of their armor and all of their equipment and they're cowering in fear. And here's this one shepherd boy stepping out front. He didn't just face Goliath, he fought Goliath. And here's what he spoke out loud as he looked at Goliath and he said this to Goliath. You come at me with spear, sword, and shield. But I come at you in the name of of the Lord of hosts. Notice he didn't say, I come at you with my sling. (laughs) He says, I'm coming at you with everything that God has. And what happened to Goliath? One small stone, people. And the giant was down. Think about all those days of wasted time in worry because they weren't willing to be warriors. Why? Because they were thinking, we've got to fight this battle in our own strength. We've got to come at the enemy with what we have. Let me ask you this question for those of you struggling with addiction. Are you going to conquer that giant of addiction with what you have? Or in the name of Jesus Christ? Those of you that have identity issues, are you going to deal with that in your own strength? Or in the name of Jesus? Those of you that struggle with, with feeling inferior or fears or whatever your particular giant happens to be. And if we're honest today, because most of us are faking it, we all have things that we're fearful of, right? We all have the Goliaths that step out and challenge us and tell us they're coming against us with all of these things. No one's going to love you. No one's going to care about you. Whatever they are coming at us with. And all we have to do is say, yeah, well, I'm coming back with the name of Jesus. You cannot fight your battles with what you have, but with who you have, Jesus Christ. Peter, as he saw the crippled lame man, and I want you to realize this man had been begging most of his life, and and what he needed were a few coins to get through the day just to be able to survive. And Peter has bad news and good news. And Peter says this to him, silver and gold I don't have. That's the bad news. And I want you to think, if you were a beggar, how discouraging would that have been? Because that's what you think you need. But then Peter went on and said, silver and gold I don't have, but what I have I give freely to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. Do you realize that God's plan is not for you to survive but to thrive? 
He doesn't want you to just be begging every day. He wants you to be blessed. And I'm not talking about some crazy prosperity gospel where it's all about money. God's blessings are so much bigger than financial things. But you and I need to understand that we, when we do ministry, just like when we do battle, we can't come in it with what we have. And so often in the church, you know what we want to do? We want to muster our resources and come to do ministry. Let me ask you, if we muster everything that we have as a church, what are we really going to accomplish in this community? How big of a dent will we really make? We're getting ready to send some missionaries back onto the field after their furlough. And if they go back with what they have and what we give them and that's all, how much are they really going to accomplish? You see, whether it is the battle or whether it is ministry, we come not with what we have, but with who we have. Jesus Christ, because God said this in Philippians, he gave him the name above all names. That at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I wonder, have we already bowed and have we already confessed or are we waiting for later? What kind of a witness are we going to be? Because here's the beauty of this passage. It is not just an admonition of authority. It is relational. We have been adopted, but why have we been adopted? And here's the fourth point. Because we are ambassadors of the Almighty. We were not saved to be selfish, but to serve. And one of the things that you and I need to understand about an ambassador is an ambassador is sent to live in a foreign land and yet represent the country that they came from. They are there, and how they live is a reflection upon the people who sent them. Church, when we give our lives to Jesus Christ, we say yes to the Great Commission. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. You and I become ambassadors and we are living in a foreign land. And this is where we have to be incredibly careful today, especially in America, because I believe we are buying into a very dangerous doctrine today. And it is a doctrine that will absolutely destroy the church because it doesn't come from God's word. It comes from the world and it comes from our wants. And here's what we're buying into today. That this is our country. And that we are here to save America. Church, let me tell you, when you claim to be a Christian, you do not represent America, you represent the Almighty. You are a child of the kingdom of God. And so now you have to start looking at life as a representative of Christ, not a representative of the country that you live in. And what many of us have bought into today is that we're here to save America. We are here to see Americans get saved. We are here to see all kinds of nationalities of people get saved. And I think that evangelical, well-meaning Christians today are buying into this dangerous doctrine where they're putting all of their energy into trying to save a country, a community, an idea, an ideology. Why? Because we've forgotten the one who saves, Jesus Christ. That is the one that we serve. And I want to tell you, it is not about being passionate about this country. I gave up rights. I gave up my citizenship to be part of this nation and become a citizen. And many of you, you were just born here. And you love this nation. I made a physical choice to be a part of this. But I want to challenge you. Do you love your country more than you love Jesus Christ? Because here's the reality. We're not here to save a country. We are here to see Christ save the people in the country. One of the challenging things of an ambassador is an ambassador doesn't speak their opinion. They don't speak what they think or what they want. They speak on behalf of the one that they represent. And how they represent him is a reflection upon him. You see, most of us, we're speaking our wants today, not God's will. We are not here to proclaim our plan. 
And we've got to be very, very careful that we don't start dictating the way the church should be and what it should be about. And there are so many of us, we're like, well, I don't like it because it's not this and it's not that and it's not. And most of those are built on our wants, not on God's word. We do not proclaim our plan. We proclaim his plan. What is Jesus' plan? Go in all the world. Make disciples. Let me ask you, are you part of that plan? Where in your life are you on board with the plan of God? Because if we're not comfortable, we will make church about being comfortable instead of sharing Jesus Christ. And I'm going to tell you, if we're going to be an authentic, real church, it's not going to be comfortable. And most of the time, it's not going to be about us. It's going to be about people that need Jesus Christ. Now, there's a tough part of this passage that we've got to deal with, and it's this. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Who do you think that's speaking to? If it says, you're God, then we have to ask ourselves a question. Is Jesus Christ my Lord, my God? Because you see, one of the things that we need to understand here is God is not commanding unbelievers as much as he is commanding believers. And here's what we do in irreverence to God. We start focusing on unbelievers. We, we start taking God's word, a clear command to Christians, and we put ownership on people that aren't saved. And then we have the audacity to get really upset when they take the name of the Lord in vain and we just jump their case, right? Can I ask you a question? Who does more damage for the cause of Christ? People that don't claim to be Christians that misuse the name of God? Or Christians who claim to belong to Christ, carelessly carting his name through the mud. We do deal with unbelievers. So how do you handle people that don't know Jesus and are misusing the name of the Lord? I think the first thing we've got to understand here is we've got to stop being surprised when sinners sin. That sounds so simple, but we have got to stop being shocked. So many of us will hear somebody curse the name of God and we're like, can I ask you a question? What do you expect people that don't know Jesus to do? Because they are being controlled by the enemy who loves nothing more than to trash the truth and the treasure of God. They're being controlled. And yet most of us, we have no compassion. Our first thought is, I'm a, right? Not, man, here's someone that really needs Jesus. I wish they knew the name of Jesus the way I know the name of Jesus. Man, what if I shared with them? We've got to stop expecting people that don't have the Spirit of God to act like saints. Because otherwise it becomes about behavioral modification instead of behavior. And most of us today are on dangerous ground when it comes to parenting because if we make it all about the behavior and we don't talk about the belief behind the behavior, then we're going to communicate to our kids that somehow you can sanctify yourself. You don't really need the Spirit of God. Absolutely, your kids need the Spirit of God. You need the Spirit of God. Let me tell you why unbelievers behave the way they do, because they don't believe. Their belief is different than your belief, and belief will drive behavior. So don't be shocked. Secondly, I'd encourage you to to weep and then to worship. There's a story told about a young lady who, when she was confronted with this angry young man who was just cursing the name of God, it just broke her heart. It broke her heart for how God's name was being drugged through the mud, but it broke her heart that he didn't know Jesus and she just started to weep. And in the midst of his anger, he saw this young woman just weeping and it broke his heart and he came to Christ. And I'm going to tell you, when people come to Christ, there will be an absolute change in their life. One of the most amazing changes came out of a revival in Wales in 1905-1906, the Welsh Revival. And there were all these coal miners who would go down into the mines and spent most of their life out of the daylight down in the mines. And they had these little horses and ponies and they would haul the coal back out. 
And there were these revival meetings, and these guys started to come, and, and all of a sudden, the Spirit of God was moving, and, and all of these miners started to come to Christ. There was an amazing conversion. But do you know, when people come to Christ, there will be a change in their life. And one of the interesting hiccups that came out of that whole thing was when they went back to the mines now as Christians, their language changed. And all of a sudden, these horses that for years had heard all of the cursing and the carrying on no longer understood the commands of these men because their language had changed and they had to retrain their horses. You see, when we come to Christ, there's a change in our life. The other thing I want to encourage you as we deal with unbelievers who curse the name of God is be careful with your attitude and your words. So many of us, we, we just let them have it. Like we think we have to fight for God. And last week we saw with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, we don't have to fight for God. We are called to be faithful to God. And being faithful to God is proclaiming his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you a sad story. When I was a young man, immature in my faith, I was roofing houses and there was a bunch of guys that worked for me. And one day there was this, this young guy that joined our crew, and he was clearly not a believer. He didn't know Jesus. And partway into the work day, he started to curse God, take the Lord's name in vain. And it just angered me. And I finally turned to him, and I just absolutely let him have it. And church, I've got to tell you, he knew exactly what I thought of him. But he had no idea what Jesus thought of him. Because I didn't introduce him to Jesus, I introduced him to judgment. I wasn't an ambassador for Jesus Christ that day. I was a jerk. And, and I'm going to tell you, this, this is where we get so self-righteously smug. Man, I did one for Jesus. I, I let that unbeliever know. You want to know how you change the culture? Live for Christ. Be less concerned with how unbelievers are dragging Christ's name through the mud and how you are upholding his name. Because Brennan Manning says this, the greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. How you care for the name of Jesus will determine how you carry the name of Jesus. You see, you and I have to take a look at our lifestyle. And when we profane the name of Jesus, we don't just do it. The reason is because we're not practicing what we preach. We don't practice our profession. Let me ask you, does your profession and your practice match? Or is there a discrepancy between your life and your lips. We are the keepers of God's reputation in this community. How well are we keeping that reputation? Does it really matter when we're out and about and we're doing the things that we're doing? Does, does it matter? Absolutely, because people look and they say, look, there's a Christ representative. And how you and I live reflects the King. And most of the time, the only Bible that people will read is your life and my life. Are the stories that they read going to be true? Are they going to match up with truth or, or with trash? You see, here's what Jesus had to say. He calls people who say one thing with their lips and their lifestyle is different. He calls them hypocrites. And in Mark 7, 6, Jesus said, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. There's a scary verse in Romans 2.20. God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You ever thought about that verse? Imagine if that was said about you. The reason unbelievers curse God is because of the way you live. Because that's the way you live. And God here was speaking to people who knew the truth. They didn't practice the truth. You see, this is a lifestyle of love, not just lip service to the king. A good friend of mine sent me an email this week and he was not bragging. He was just 
so encouraged that when we live a lifestyle, which, by the way, is not five minutes, that's a moment. A lifestyle is over your whole life. It's consistent. And he said, when we live a lifestyle for the Lord, it really works. And he shared with me about how this young man came into one of his businesses and and he claimed to be a Christian, but later started to question his faith and walked away from God and said, well, I'm not, I'm not really a Christian. I don't believe in God. I don't even know if God exists. And this guy just kept loving on him. And, and, and this, this guy who was questioning his faith then started to badmouth my friend and his reputation, calling his character into question. When all he'd done was love on this man, and he just kept loving on him. A year ago, this young man lost both of his parents in a tragic automobile accident. And this friend of mine just reached right out, loved on him, cared for him. Last month, he got a letter from this man to say, you know what? I want you to forgive me. I trashed your name. I'm sorry for how I handled things, but I want you to know that I've come back to Christ, that, that I'm re-engaged in the church. Can I ask you, does a lifestyle of love really matter? And so often what we want to do is we want to, to compartmentalize our Christianity where, where it becomes about a convenient Christianity where I'll obey that for a week or I'll obey that this month but I'm, I'm talking about walking with the Lord over a lifestyle, a consistency, loving people when they're not lovable because Christianity is not loving people that love you back. It's loving your enemies. It's caring for people that are dragging your name through the mud because you have a clear perspective that your character is tied to Jesus Christ, not to the accusation. And you understand, you know what? You can ruin my reputation, but I'm not focused on my reputation, my character. That's who I really am. My reputation's who people say I am. And that's just your opinion. You see, it matters not just our walk, but our words. Because it's here that we see that our lips have to match our lifestyle. And there are many ways that we can profane the name of the Lord with our words. And one of those is outright blasphemy. Some of you are at a place in your life where you still curse the name of God. You get angry, you grew up in a culture of that, and when that happens and things are out of control, you, you say those things. You know what Scripture says, Isaiah 52, 5, all day long my name is constantly being blasphemed. Can you imagine, God? You're constantly hearing your name being blasphemed. Are we going to counter that in the culture? Or are we going to join in with that voice in the culture? Because the counter to God's name being blasphemed is when we bless the name of the Lord, when we hold it up as holy. I think another way is common cursing. And this is so easy for us to fall into in our culture. And we even justify it as Christians because we walk more by our feelings than we do by faith. Have you ever stopped to consider what you're really saying when you say, well, you can just go to hell? You, you are saying, I wish you into a place you can never get out of and you were separated from the love of God for all eternity. Aren't we supposed to share the good news of Jesus Christ that frees people from the fires of hell? There's a crazy story in Luke chapter 9. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem to give his life, to go to the cross. His disciples have been doing life with him for three years. They come across this Samaritan village, and these villages don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, okay? They're like, we don't want Jesus. And here's what two of his disciples asked Jesus. Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven and burn them? Oh, duh, I don't know. Let's think about that for a moment. We're on our way to the cross to lay down my life because I love people. And you've been doing life with me for three years and you flat out don't get it. Why? Because when it doesn't go the way that you want, you think it's okay to waste people. Some of us have been Christians 10, 20 years. We're trying to get on the highway and people won't get over. 
because they haven't figured out those two roads yet, or I don't know what their problem is. Maybe they're texting. Maybe they haven't even woken up. They're just like zombies heading to work. Whatever it is, they won't get over. And what happens? We lose it because we don't get our way. And we mentally waste people in our mind. And we've been walking with Jesus for how long? And we know that Christ went to the cross. Where is the compassion? But you see what happens is we start to curse people. Another is pointless prayers. This is where you and I pray for our wants, not the will of God. Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, said, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You ever stop to consider how God's will is carried out in heaven? Is this the picture that you have that Jesus is there and he hollers over at Gabriel and he says, hey, Gabriel, I've got something I want you to do. I'm busy. Jesus, I will get to that later. Just send me an email. Do you really think that's how it goes? You see, that's called disobedience, not obedience. But isn't it amazing how often we do that with God? And we start to question God. Here's one of my favorite ways that as believers we spiritualize disobedience. God clearly calls us to do something. We say, got to pray about it. Okay, if it is a direct, you know in your heart that it is the will of God, the word of God, and it all lines up and he wants you to walk in it, then you already have your answer to prayer. You're just using prayer as a way to put off obedience. Why is it that we're disobedient to the will of God? Why don't we carry out God's will on earth the way it is in heaven immediately? Well, I think it goes back to our lack of reverence for God. Because what does the first thing say? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And if you don't have a reverence for God, if you don't understand that he is the one that calls the shots, you're always going to argue with God. And what's amazing to me is we have real needs in this life. One of them is for food. And guess what? It's not as great a need as our need of recognizing his holiness or doing his will. And most of us, we're not even petitioning God over our real needs. We're putting our wants ahead of his will. I think another way is careless conversations where instead of caring for people, we're critical with people. It is so easy for us to end up with a critical spirit where we become people and we sit and, and maybe we're at church and maybe the worship team, they're, they're just worshiping God and we're like, well, I could have done that better. Well, how come this? How come that? How much of our lives do we miss the creator because we're critical? Can I encourage you? We have got to stop bringing worldly ideas into the church and replacing the word. Because the Bible doesn't call us to compete with one another and to be critical with one another. That's what the world does. It's called backbiting. We are called to complement one another. Can I tell you this morning, there are pastors in this valley all across this nation who have spent time on their knees, time in God's word. They're preaching from their heart. And how many of us are going, well, this, 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 this. Like it's our job to critique, right? And so what do we do? Well, I like that church. I don't like that church. That pastor's good. That pastor's not good. And we start to judge. And in the midst of all of our judging, we miss Jesus. And I know people who will spend their whole Christian lives hopping from church to church to church. And you know what the real issue is? It wasn't the pastor. It wasn't the congregation. It wasn't the color of the carpet. It was a critical spirit where they constantly criticized and compared. Church, don't ever let me hear you say to people that Mitchell Brian's the only good church in this valley. There are a lot of good churches in this valley. There are a lot of good pastors in this valley. And our job is not to compete with one another. We are not keepers of the fishbowl. We are fishers of men. I think another way is singing songs. And this sounds a little different, but do you realize that this morning we sang a lot of words? And I wonder, did we really mean those in our heart? We can sing songs like, you are the air I breathe. 
well, that's not really true. I just suck on the oxygen Jesus on Sundays, and the rest of the week I go fill my lungs with the smog of the world. We, we can sing these songs, you're all I need, you're all I want. We can sing these songs, I'll go where you send me. No, you won't. You won't even go talk to your neighbor, and they live next door. You're not going anywhere. Isn't it amazing how, how we're worshiping away and we're singing all these songs and we're making all these commitments and professions and yet half of it isn't even true in our hearts. You see, one of the challenges is this, that it has been said that Christians don't speak lies, they sing their lies. Be careful you don't sin when you sing. What about gossip where we talk about people instead of talking to people? What about when we give Credit to God for our own ideas. Now, it is true that God reveals things to us, but I'm talking about when we go and we say, God told me. You better be absolutely 100% certain that God told you. You know why Angel married me? I went to her one day and I said, hey, God told me we should get married. That's what I'm talking about. I really didn't do that. I'm kidding. But that's what I'm talking about. Isn't it amazing how many people will come and try to interject God's will in your life? And they're like, man, I know God's will for your life. I don't know God's will for my life, but somehow I know God's will for your life. I have found God tends to talk to people face to face. He tends to speak into their hearts. What about shortcuts and abbreviations? OMG. Oh my, we know what that means, right? Do your texts, your tweets, your social media posts, do they profane and defame the name of Jesus or proclaim the name of Jesus? And sometimes we think if I just abbreviate it, it'll be okay. Is it ever okay if we're misusing the name of the Lord even if we've abbreviated the misuse of the Lord? I think about Christian cliches. It is so easy for us to say, praise the Lord. I've been around some Christians that are authentically mean that, going through hard times in life, and they're like, praise the Lord, and they really mean it. But when it just becomes a cliche, and we really don't mean praise the Lord, here's one I hear all the time. I'm praying for you. Don't tell people you're praying for them if you're not praying for them, because you're dishonoring the name of the Lord. And it is so easy. It's almost like we've come to this place in Christian culture where we have these little Christian cliches and we just say them and we have no idea even what we're saying. And I asked someone one time, they said to me, hey, I'm praying for you. I said, what are you praying? What? I mean, it was dead honest. It was, it was uncomfortable. And they had to backtrack and say, well, I mean, I'm going to pray for you. What do you need prayer for? <laughs> That's honesty, right? But you and I need to be very careful. See, what you revere, you not only respect, but you reflect. And you and I need to ask ourselves the question, how am I carrying the name of Jesus? Am I carrying it carefully, compassionately? Or am I just carelessly carting the name of God and think, well, when there's a stumble, we'll handle it at that point? Because it matters the holy name of Jesus. We have the absolute incredible privilege this morning of praying for Travis and Nikki Ray as they get ready to head back to Papua New Guinea. Most of you know the Rays. They've been part of our church family, grew up here in the church, and, and we were able to commission them to go over five years ago to Papua New Guinea, and they've completed uh, their first assignment over there. They will be most likely moving to a whole new area of Papua New Guinea, so lots of changes and things. Both of their girls are going to be staying back here in the States, and so we just want to invite them as a family to come, and then I want to invite you as a church family just for us to gather around them. Because here's the exciting thing. You guys can come on down. Here's the exciting thing for us as a church. We have the privilege of not just paying for them to go to Papua New Guinea, but to support them in prayer emotionally, physically, spiritually, so that they can do what God called them to do, so that Mitchell Brian, this little podunk church in the middle of nowhere, has this incredible impact in a little church in the middle of nowhere, Papua New Guinea. 
So church, come on down. Family, if you guys want to come, we're just going to gather around you, gently lay hands on you, and we're just going to pray and, and, and pray for you. And I know it's an emotional day. We'd rather keep you, but we know God's will for you. It's a good thing for it to take us a while to gather all these people around you. And I'm going to ask Elder John if he would just pray over you, Travis and Nikki, as we get ready to send you back. God, I want to come before you this morning uh, as a body. And I want to lift up Travis and Nikki and their family. And I want to pray for um, their safety as they travel. And I want to pray for... Uh, their hearts and leaving family behind and I want you to uh, just be peace uh, give them your peace and to uh, reassure them that uh, the price that they're paying for spreading um, the good news across the world um, is is such a just a, a, an honor and something to treasure and I pray this for us as a church body, that we wouldn't forget them, that out of sight, out of mind wouldn't happen, that we would uh, hold them up and that uh, we would petition you in your name on their behalf. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's be dismissed.